Hi, and welcome to the Fem Factor podcast. We are your co-hosts, Dr. Laura and Dr. Nicole. This is a place for women just like you desiring to learn, be inspired, and find community. We'll be discussing everything from health, longevity, and aging, to mindset, high performance, and cycle syncing, to intuition and healing physically, emotionally, and spiritually. All from a lens that is based both upon the latest health research and feminine energetics. Blending equal parts scientific evidence and inner wisdom, we invite you to elevate your biology, empower your intuition, and embody your magic. Our guest today is Michelle Shapiro. Michelle is an integrative functional registered dietitian from New York City who has helped over a thousand clients reverse their anxiety, resolve long-standing gut issues, and approach their weight lovingly. She is the host of the Quiet the Diet podcast and aims to illuminate natural healing methods for listeners, as well as invite listeners to approach their weight in a body-neutral way. And without further ado, Michelle Shapiro, welcome, welcome to the Fem Factor podcast. We are so excited to have you here and have this conversation with you today. Laura, Nicole, I'm so freaking excited to be here. Laura, we've been talking on Instagram for, I literally think years. So this is such an opportunity to actually see you and connect with you and doing it on your new podcast is so exciting. So I'm really, really happy to be here. The topic of nutrition and diet and the, um, dogma around it and just is such an important topic. And I feel like what you have to say, Michelle, is is just, you know, revolutionary almost, if I may, like your whole quiet the diet and things in, in that end. And so I'm really excited to learn from you, especially because nutrition causes such confusion with so many people. And I think it's because it's so individual and unique. And so we might have studies that say X, Y, and Z, this is so healthy for you. But then the person takes, eats whatever it is and like, this is making me feel sick, but it's good for me. So I'm going to keep going. And so I just feel like having more voices like yours is so empowering for women all over. Thank you so much, Nicole. And I, I think one of my main goals besides just giving nutrition education to people. And of course, coaching people one-on-one with nutrition is just to decrease the amount of dogma and confusion there is, because while there is so much individuality, especially in functional nutrition, we know there's tremendous individuality that's necessary. There are some things that are just also universally true about nutrition. And I don't want us to get away from that. And about health, which is like, you still have to be like a person, right? Like you still have to sleep, you still have to drink water, all these things that um, when you cover your foundations of what I would call like those lifestyle deficiencies, when you cover those, a lot of nutrition becomes a lot more simple. So I, I hope that's part of the message I can give to people is that, yes, it needs to be so individualized, but the dogma around it is totally unnecessary. That is such, yeah, such a good point. And it, I know you've been in the battlefields of- the internet when it comes to uh, people really, really kind of clinging to different nutrition principles as their identity and kind of going all in on these extremes without acknowledging that there 
there might be a middle ground, which is what I love about you. I saw somewhere that you were called the queen of the middle ground. And it's <laughs> to me, I'm like, that is just, it's so perfect. It's like this beautiful place where you can kind of look at the science and all the data around nutrition, around our food, and then also look at the other side and think, okay, how do I feel about this on a personal level? How does it make me feel so that it's not this, you know, it's really not this black or white thing where this is good, this is bad, this is A, this is B. And I love that kind of bridging that gap, that middle ground between these two extremes and helping people see that it it can do us a disservice and it can prevent a, a discourse on n- nutrition when we really kind of put our identities in line with a single way of eating. Yeah. And, and I think I I thought about this a lot recently. I'm like, why are we so kind of stratified in the nutrition world right now? And I know we'll talk more about this, but there seems to be not like within the diet culture framework, there's a thousand different pathways. And then even within the kind of antithetically, the body positivity world, there's kind of a hundred different pathways you can go. And I, I wondered recently, I was like, why are people so clinging to whatever the thing is? And I think it comes back to, people are really scared. Um, it's not usually a lack of education. I think people are scared. People don't feel well, they're hunting for answers. And then they also get a sense of community when they kind of attach themselves to one of these sets or of thinking or ideologies. And it can become very almost like a grieving process for people to let go of that piece of themselves and that sense of community they feel within, it could be, I know it's silly, but it could be Weight Watchers. That's a sense of community, or it could be, uh, an all foods fit dietitians, Instagram page. You know, it really feels like, uh, the community aspect of nutrition, uh, is where people get more politicized and more intense because I think that it's the fear of illness, but also the fear of loneliness. That's, I know it's a very dramatic way of saying it, but I've been thinking about this so much recently. I'm like, that intensity is um, fear of losing community is, is, is a part of it too. So yeah, I think you hit the the nail on the head with community. You started talking about community. I was like, oh, it's, there's belonging in there, right? Mm -hmm. Even though we're talking about nutrition, but there's that sense of belonging to an ideology, to a group, which is so important to us humans as a species. And I feel like that just isn't looked at so much. But when you step back, kind of have a 30,000 foot view, then it's like, oh, yeah, look at how connected these people are. And once you say otherwise, you're not going to want, like, they're not going to be too happy to, yes, we have a lot of background on those types of things that you, so funny you just said that word, but because it's not very, um, you, you know, used very often, but yeah, it comes out of our mouths quite a bit. Thank you. And welcome. (laughs) There's the belonging. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, Nicole, you're a longevity expert and, you know, part of understanding that is I'm sure looking at evolutionary biology, which I'm going to reference a lot, I'm sure during this podcast, but if we think about community in the sense of, uh, our ancestors, let's say we were cave women and we got kicked out of a cave and, and out of a tribe, um, it would be deadly for us. So we still have those survival mechanisms that are very in play. And I think there was, I, I, I always forget where the study was out of, but it showed that loneliness was more dangerous for our health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And I was always so moved and upset by that because from a, an emotional standpoint, the word loneliness, I feel like, so it's like the one thing that my empathy is like very strong for other people on. And I feel really intensely because I know how important it is. 
And yeah, certainly it, there's that sense of belonging with these communities. And on top of that, it really also depends on what the societal perception of the diet is at the time too. So like right now, I have clients coming to me all the time and saying, you know, Michelle, I shouldn't want to lose weight, but I do. And I'm like, who told you you shouldn't want to lose weight? Why are you saying you shouldn't? Because the landscape right now is that weight loss is a little taboo. It's a little 1990s diet culture versus if you in the 90s tried to be remotely body positive, it would have been a, a probably a dangerous situation for you then. So it's it's also how the kind of environment we live in influences how we feel about our bodies. And that's actually a risky area to be in when it comes to nutrition, because you might be doing things that satisfy the societal lens of what you should be doing, but are you're ignoring your individuality um, as a result. That is such a great point. And I know that that is something that you speak a lot about is kind of how do we take a more loving approach to people who do have weight loss goals and really take into account why they have those goals and show them that there is an intersection. There is this connecting space between body positivity and intuitive eating and still trying to lose weight if that's something that you want. And, you know, something that really bridges that gap is functional nutrition, which yourself as a functional dietitian obviously excels in that. So I love the content that you put out on Instagram. I'll make sure that we put your Instagram in the show notes so people can go gobble up all of that goodness. But if you're open to sharing, I would love to hear a little bit more about your personal story of how you found yourself helping women navigate you know, having weight loss goals as one of their health goals in today's world, where sometimes you're right, that can, that can be almost something now that you want to keep a little secret. Like, oh, I don't want to announce that I want to do this. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear more. You don't about want to be stories. a heretic, right? right? Of course. Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. So I grew up in New York city in Queens, New York city, which was, uh, actually one of the most diverse per square foot places in the entire world. And what comes along with that amazing diversity is diversity of body size, race, sexual orientation, basically in every single way you can imagine. And there also, I think in New York, like it was a big thing to want to be unique. Um, that was like the worst thing you can be is like, I guess the word is like basic. I don't even like using the word basic cause it's too basic, but I knew that growing up in Queens, uh, it was a very different experience than I would have in college. And one part of my experience growing up was that I always occupied a larger body from about kindergarten to when I was about 18 years old, I was in a, a, a larger body. And when I was going away to college, I realized, oh, like I'm going away to school and people are not going to know me in, innately, inherently. This is going to be a much more homogenous place. And I'm probably going to have to lose weight if I want to fit in. And I never had a problem fitting in. I was like class clown in my high school and my high school had 5,000 students, which is a very big reigning achievement of my life. Like that was like my big thing, you know? And I realized like, holy crap, I'm going to have to make a big change. So I went on what I would never recommend and issuing a big trigger warning, but a very rapid weight loss journey where I lost almost close to hundred pounds in three to four months. I just basically stopped eating. It was absolutely disordered. And I also was eating a vegan diet, which was kind of a concealing my eating disorder uh, in a way. I ended up doing that vegan diet for like 10 years. And we'll, we can talk about that too. But when I got to college, I was really sick and I was having panic attacks. I was, I had, you know, my labs were showing up hypothyroid. Doctors were mystified what's going on with this person. You know, I felt ill all the time, exhausted. The panic attacks were so severe, acid reflux, gut issues, like any, you know, any way you could feel like crap. I, I felt that way. 
And I kind of started to think while I was at school, maybe there's a relationship between this huge change that happened to my body and the fact that I'm not feeling well now. That was not the climate then. The climate then was, Michelle, you look amazing. I got all the societal benefits. I got all the thin privilege benefits. They are real. People treat you totally differently. And um, I, I just, while I was there, again, start the wheel started turning because I also started getting all these diagnoses slapped on me. You have hypothyroidism. You have panic disorder. You need to take medication for these things for the rest of your life. And I just remember asking myself, well, I didn't have these things before. Why do I have them now? And that's what a doctor could not explain to me. I was like, oh, I just have a chronic lifelong illness now that just popped up out of nowhere. That doesn't make sense. So I went on my own journey, really geared towards the anxiety piece of it to figure out why I was having anxiety and what I could do. And that's when I developed what I like to call my first battle plan, um, which is when I divide kind of everything into like, and I do this for clients now, like lifestyle, supplement, food, anything I could possibly do to target anxiety. And I was just reading books and books and books to figure out what I can do. And I got about like 70% better where the panic attacks kind of morphed into a more of a generalized anxiety buzzing. And then I sought the help of a naturopathic physician. And in that appointment, which was like a 90 minute appointment, I, I said, Oh, this is how I'm going to do stuff <laughs> from now on. I was like, this is totally different. And obviously looked at me. He really looked at me as like a whole person. His name is Dr. Robert Kochko. And in that appointment, I also told him it's weird that you think you're my doctor because you're going to be my best friend and business partner one day because I love everything you're doing. And I eventually coerced him into that. Um, so, so certainly, uh, we, we co-created a, a program called anxiety proof a couple of years ago. And, um, really that was my first foray into the functional or naturopathic approach to nutrition. And then I kind of, for the rest of my career, wanted to find out what I did wrong, why when I lost weight so rapidly, it made me feel so sick and how, if people want to lose weight, they can do it without the negative physiological side effects of weight loss and psychological effects, of course, that, that exist too. I think currently we're talking a lot about the psychological effects of weight loss and ways of disordered eating. And we're not talking about um, the physiological negative effects besides the fact that diets are bad and diets don't work and all that stuff, which we hear that it's this huge change in your body's homeostasis and that your body just like really doesn't want to lose weight. Um, and how, if you want your body to lose weight, do you approach that in a loving way? And also uh, I work to really help people with anxiety and panic attacks, which is, you know, my heart language. Like I, the pain of a panic attack is can only be understood by someone else who's experienced it. So I really, um, I love to sit in that space with people. And then if people have longstanding gut issues, so we treat what we experience, um, you know, and that's certainly the case for me. This nutrition, mental wellness connection, mm -hmm. I am definitely a firm believer in it. And yet so many people are surprised either whether it's, you know, as an adult or even recently, I had a friend who has a child who might be on the spectrum and I said, you know, a lot could help with diet and nutrition, but he's, it, this child's little. So like, it's going to take a, probably a lot of like trial and error to figure it out. But, you know, the mom was just shocked. Like, I can't believe that the food or the nutrition is going to have a direct correlation on, you know, behavior or mental wellness. Um, and I don't know, I think sometimes we live in a bubble where we're like, of course, that's what it's going to do, but you know, not everybody has that. So can you speak to that a little bit more? Absolutely. And I can definitely speak much more to anxiety, panic attacks, and de depression specifically when it comes to mental health disorders, which are of course different than, um, 
you know, uh, neurodivergence or spectrum disorders like you're talking about. Um, so I, I view anxiety as this very sacred messenger from our body to our brain. And I think of it almost like if you had a house, your body was a house and anxiety was like the fire alarm going off in your house. And what a lot of us want to do when we experience anxiety or panic attacks is certainly turn that alarm off because it's very unpleasant and we don't want that to be ringing in our heads. But what I really encourage people to do is to explore where's the fire coming from. So if if our body can't communicate with us through signs or symptoms, you know, one way it can easily communicate with us is through anxiety. So while we're experiencing anxiety as something that's mental, our body and our brain are not only connected, they're the same thing. It's all one system. So our body can communicate a symptom like a rash or it can communicate a symptom like anxiety to tell us something's going on underneath and to dig deeper. What some of those kind of common root causes for anxiety that I CR are nutrient deficiencies, gut inflammation and dysbiosis, um, anything, any sort of inflammation that's going on in the rest of the body. And then of course, from a mental spiritual standpoint, anxiety can be really an unheard need. I don't think of anxiety as being something that is like a sadness because sadness is a felt emotion. Anxiety is almost the absence of an emotion. And what oftentimes we want to do when we hear anxiety is we want to shut it off because it's, again, really unpleasant. And one other visual I use for anxiety is anxiety is almost like if there was, I have this visual, there's a mom and her son in a playground and her son wants to get her attention and he's pulling on her shirt, you know, mom, mom, I have to tell you something. The kind of more that he tries to get mom's attention and the more that she suppresses him, the louder he gets. Anxiety is like that too. So the the more we suppress our anxiety, which is that fire alarm that wants, please, there's a fire. I have to tell you something. The more we suppress it, the more it comes up. So our instinct to squash anxiety is actually what exacerbates it from a reactionary standpoint. So I think that what's really important for people experiencing anxiety is to just, when you hear it, um, just allow it to happen. Man, that's hard when you're having a panic attack. Trust me, I know. But just kind of riding the wave of anxiety is important because that's when you'll get to the message the important message at the, at the end of the anxiety, really easier said than done. Um, but, but certainly, uh, it's a call to action, our anxiety and a messenger. That is such a beautiful description of that. And if anyone has experienced anxiety, I'm sure that's really resonating. I know that is something I myself have dealt with a lot. And I definitely used to be the person who did not, when I first started experiencing anxiety, I didn't necessarily view it as that cue, a little cue from my body. I, I was not embracing curiosity around, oh, what could this mean? What what might be missing? What might be out of alignment? I would be like, oh, let me go squash this down with a hard workout or make myself busier or anything to not think about it, right? Which is is, is so easy in the moment because you're doing something. So you, it makes you feel like you're taking action to to solve it. But the reality is you are just pushing it down deeper. You're masking it with other things instead of stepping back and sitting in the discomfort and again, getting curious about, well, why is this emotion coming up? And I had a friend, uh, Kate Vasquez, who, when I was explaining to her what anxiety felt like for me, sometimes she said, Laura, I notice you keep saying it's your anxiety instead of just saying you're experiencing anxiety. And that was like, a huge moment for wow. me, like, oh, I am literally just holding claim to this, this feeling or this absence of a feeling when it's, it's just that it's just something passing through. It's just a signal, right? It's just an alarm. Like, why would I want to hold on to that? And 
make that part of my identity. And that was a huge game changer at paying attention more to the experience of some of those emotions as that alarm bell. Like, what is this trying to tell me? I need to step back. I need to take a pause and, and figure it out. So it's, I was nodding in your explanation. I'm like, yes, I feel that a thousand times. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that too. And that's something I just learned about you. So thank you for sharing that. And I think again, our one, one strategy I have with clients, because we will use mindset strategies too around anxiety is you kind of want to picture your anxiety as an entity and then put it next to you on the couch. So it it feels like it's separate from the Laura voice. It feels like it's separate from that authentic voice of ours. And we can talk about internal family systems. I love that too. But you kind of take that anxiety voice. It's like, oh my God, oh my God, we're going to die. We're going to die. And just kind of picture it sitting on the couch next to you and let it just talk, talk to you and tell you what it needs to tell you. And you can nod and be like, wow, I really don't like that voice, you know, and, and, and be smirky with it. But you know, it's like you said, it's about, it's much more about riding the wave so that you can get to that juicy nugget of information about yourself. Um, and to make it more tolerable because if we react with, Oh my God, we're going to die. And then we ourselves react with, Oh my God, I know we're going to die. Um, it, it really escalates that nervous system dysregulation, um, quite quickly. Yeah. And a lot of, well, both of us sitting or all of us probably sitting here and who we work with and who are listening, you know, we have, highly driven lives and purposes and we get stuff done and there's almost like I had a anxiety disorder diagnosis in grad school and so when that happened there was a lot of shame around it Mm -hmm. like I didn't necessarily want to tell people but I felt like this was something very important impacting my life so much like my home life my school life and all this and yet it seemed like something that I should be embarrassed or shamed about in the moment. I don't feel that way anymore, but I feel like a lot more women that are, you know, highly driven are probably pushing that down or away or putting a blanket over it um, much more than we, we probably even know. Yeah. It is something that's so stigmatized and also something that's so normal to experience because we also need anxiety from that evolutionary biological perspective. We need anxiety to alarm us to dangers, right? That's why our bodies, uh, that's how our bodies save our lives. It's, it's so important that we have that anxiety. What is, what has happened and why I think anxiety has been so much more in as time goes on and, and studies substantiate this for sure, anxiety and depression or reported anxiety and depression, um, is so much higher is because our environment is, continuously more and more threatening and incongruent with the the life that we should be living. Like we should probably be like kind of laying outside in a cave, picking some berries, chilling, like laying down, hanging out with people. And we're like working like 70 hours a week. And we're having like so many different types of stressors. Even the fact that we're in cars, which is like against our biology and someone honks a horn at us, like the kind of total amount of stress that we can tolerate is, is really high. And then at the same time, we're also feeling like we're not feeling well, most of us, right? Like we're in a place right now where up to 60% of Americans have, you know, one or more, uh, diagnosed chronic illnesses. I mean, and, and I'm sure that's grossly underdiagnosed. So it's when you're not feeling well, also again, that anxiety signal is going to start flaring up a lot too. So we're, it's, it's so normal, but it's also what I think is really important, Nicole, is that it's, it's not normal. So what I mean by that is, um, I don't want to sensitize people to living a life full of anxiety. And I am not an advocate of the idea of managing anxiety. I'm like, 
just in my personality, I'm like, no, I want to obliterate it. I don't want to manage it. That's not, if it came in hard, it's going to go out hard too. And that's kind of, I know that the, there's a compassionate piece of me, of course, anytime anxiety comes up, but my approaches to anxiety are not to manage it and live with an anxiety disorder that spontaneously came up. It's to explore why it happened and hopefully reverse it at the root. That's, and, you know, I think that's an important distinction when it comes to the functional approach to anxiety. And I know that's again, heresy for me to say that, but that is the the real approach. My, my goal is not to, my goal is to manage symptoms with clients in the interim, but in the long-term to reverse anxiety. Well, consider us heretics because I am here for this conversation. <laughs> I, that phrase managing things, I see it so much and I, I find it frustrating as well. It's kind of, to me, it's sending this subliminal or not so subliminal messaging that this is part of you now. We just need to figure out how to live with it. Um, and I think just looking at it from a completely different framework of, well, is it something as simple as a nutritional deficiency? Is it a lack of alignment or, or a basic human need that's not being met? And sometimes, you know, those things don't have a place in a conversation that just talks about management. So I'm really glad you brought that up. We have no problems being heretics on this podcast. Whatsoever. I love it. That's our word of the day. I freaking love it. We're going to have to work that into the episode title somehow. It has uh, to be the heretics of nutrition. Right. I love it. But my, my next question is this. So yeah. again, women like ourselves, women who are listeners, a lot of plates they're juggling sometimes, a lot of things going on. Maybe, maybe they are experiencing anxiety or maybe they do have a weight loss goal that they would like to approach from this slightly different take. What is a good starting place for them? Because I think the tendency is let me go online. Let me ask my friends, give me the plan, give me the protocol, head down, let me follow it, check the items off my to-do list. And my feeling is that you're going to tell us it's something a little different than that. So I would love to know what your starting points would be. So this is the hard answer to start with is first of all, it's not always the right season for weight loss for every woman, every person. Um, it's not always everyone's time to lose weight, which really annoys people. I actually have a quiz on my website. Like, is it the right time to lose weight? And I had to be so careful with how I phrase. No, I was like, I don't want people to be mad when I say it's maybe not the right time, but we can come back to it. Um, around weight loss specifically, what I want people to explore before they engage in a plan or anything like that is the urgency that we're experiencing around weight loss. And again, getting really curious, like you said, Laura, just trying to understand why does it feel so important and urgent again, remember our little anxiety ball sitting next to us on the couch saying, Oh my God, we have to lose weight. If we react in that way by saying, Oh my God, we have to lose weight. We're not going to be thinking with the mind that's going to get us very far. So it's just first important to understand and listen to who. Where's that urgency coming from, right? And and sitting with that urgency and understanding the need. We do not act well when we act out of fear or urgency. We just, it's not gonna be sustainable. It's not gonna be safe. It's not gonna lead us in the right direction. So I think getting a little more comfortable around, like you said before too, Laura, the discomfort of that weight loss urgency is really important to people. I think what I like people to do too is just start to kind of, listen to and connect with your body when it comes to weight loss. So what I mean by that is if I were to engage in like, you know, oh, maybe I want to go on a low carb diet, say the word low carb diet to yourself and see how your body reacts. So like literally when I say low carb diet for myself, I like feel myself, ugh, like I'm like, uh, I feel my heart 
you know, constricting. I'm like, oh, cause I know I'm going to get low blood sugar. I'm not going to feel good. You know, I'm, I'm not a person who's eligible for a low carb diet. I have like very low trending blood sugar, but I want people to also notice how their body's reacting to it. And if your body is telling you, no, Ooh, that doesn't feel good. It might again, not be the right time to pursue weight loss specifically. The other thing is I don't ever believe in really pursuing weight loss intentionally to start with. I think focusing on overall health is important. And the goal is ultimately when you get the systems running really well, an environment for weight loss becomes more possible. But if you're having a really disordered relationship with food already, and you're feeling really fearful about making a diet change, again, I would sit and get curious around how you're feeling around it. And then I would also ask definitely myself. And if this is, you know, for the person listening, what else is going on in my body and my health? And why, why is this pressing and so urgent? Because maybe a weight loss goal is actually coming down to not only something aesthetic, but you're like, I got to get this weight off because my knees are hurting. I'm having acid reflux as a result of the weight. Like then you can explore those pieces of it because targeting weight loss through calorie restriction or low carb diets or anything like that will only get you so far if you don't have that system running really well with your hormones and, and with your metabolism and with, you know, your gut and everything like that too. I don't know if I answered your question. I tried. I love that so much. In fact, I talk about that with just online and, and with clients about feeling that contraction or expansion when you're decision-making, but never have I thought about doing it with like, um, a way of eating. I don't want to say diet, but like a way of eating, I'll just say maybe for that day, like what foods do I need? But as an overall, like, does this, you know, all vegetarian or low carb or paleo or whatever, I've never really sat with it and like felt that contraction or expansion. So thank you so much. I think that is huge. I love the contraction and expansion. That's so beautiful that you teach that. That's awesome. And so this is a really cool quote that I got from my friend who came on my podcast, Stephanie Mara Fox. She's a somatic nutrition counselor. And she says, somatic eating is the step before intuitive eating. So intuitive eating, we think of as being this kind of mental framework around food. And sure, there's tapping into the body. But what's missing for a lot of people, especially in the world of binge eating, especially with those disordered behaviors is understanding how your body feels from a nervous system perspective. When you even think about food, when you even think about engaging in a change. So kind of before engaging even an intuitive eating journey, which I have again, like a lot of comments on, um, really tapping into what your body is feeling. Not only like, Oh, I, I want this food because I'm hungry, but what is my physical body telling me? And, and really, and somatic meaning of the body, um, really tapping into what your body is, is experiencing before you start engaging in the mental piece of it. There were so many little nuggets in those last two answers. And I want to, I want to pull out two of them that really kind of like set my brain spinning when we were talking about them. The first was, I just want to repeat what you said that like, it's not always the season for weight loss and, you know, bringing that back another layer into Sometimes when people think that weight loss will get them the goals they want, really there's these underlying systems, these underlying symptoms, these discomforts that if we, if we put those as our goals, your body is going to be able to come back into that homeostasis versus you adding the next stressor of cutting down your calories, trying to work out more. And I think that's where a lot of people get confused with uh, social media messaging is 
there's a lot of messaging out there that basically will say like, oh, you just need to try harder. You need to work out harder. Like you need to suck it up and do it. And then, like, I see those and I want to pull my hair out because it, again, it's, it's assuming that the underlying system is functioning well. And, and when you I have to add to that too. I have to, yeah. add, I'm so sorry. I have to jump That's in okay. on you because it's so Please good do. what you're saying. <laughs> Weight loss is stressful on our bodies. It is very unappealing, especially from that evolutionary biological perspective. Imagine my body losing a hundred pounds of vital fat that our bodies think we need really badly to be alive. Can you imagine the amount of processing your body needs to when removing toxins from your fat cells through your liver? Like it's a big process. It's not just this thing where you're like cutting skin off and walking away. Like it's, which is also a very big deal, by the way, and a huge surgery, obviously too, but it's a very involved process from a biochemical perspective and it is stressful on your body. So your body doesn't like it. Okay. You might feel better after, but the process of it, your body's not going to like. So when you have mounting stress, you don't add more stress on top of it. So you kind of have to be, and I just want to say, I have to say this too, because I, I don't want this to be where people feel like, oh, here's another person telling me I can't lose weight because diet culture is bad because, you know, 90% of diets fail because 98% of diets fail because of anything like that. It's just having the listener, whoever's listening, prioritize timing, prioritize compassion, prioritize intuition in their journey. And I'm not saying that weight loss is never appropriate, even though it's stressful. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that it is in fact a stress. So we need to take inventory of the rest of the stressors um, in our lives and take inventory of that the foundational pieces of our health when we're approaching a weight loss journey. But I'm not saying weight loss is bad and you shouldn't do it ever or anything like that. I'm saying it's it is hard for a reason because it's kind of counter to what our body wants. Sorry for interrupting you, Laura. I was burning with that. You you got me going so bad. I'm so sorry. I am so happy you did. No, I, I think this, this part of this conversation is so crucial for people to understand. So I'm so glad we're having it because sometimes when you're in it and you're, you're feeling crappy, maybe you're tired, you're not sleeping well, you're not feeling confident. Like we mistakenly think that weight loss will be the magic solution to all that when we're in a very stressed state of being. Oh, I'll just feel better if I drop the 10 pounds. That'll solve everything. And we're not considering that that is adding one more thing to the stress bucket. And as intelligent as our bodies are, it can't differentiate between all these different kinds of stress. All it knows is you are adding to the mix. So again, it's not that you can't have these goals, but what are you prioritizing this season? Because you can only prioritize one thing for it to be a priority. And if your priority has to be getting your body to a state of balance first, weight loss might not be the goal for you this season. It might be next season. You got to set the stage so that you can have a, let's be honest, like an easier time with it Yeah, because, because it is difficult. Um, and the last thing you want is to go into that feeling completely, you know, mentally stressed and physically stressed and everything else. So really important conversation to flesh out. I think this also leads me to this kind of counter ideology, which is that people heresy, obviously we got to do the heresy thing, right? <laughs> we haven't done that in like five minutes. Of course we have to, um, where people say, you know, if you try to diet, the stress of the diet itself will cause you to not lose weight. I don't believe that's true. So I can just say that you can lose weight in extremely stressful situations. And certainly we can think of extremely stressful situations when people are in famine, where they are still able to lose weight, right? That's, that is, that is not true. 
What is true is that there's consequences to losing weight when your body's already in a state of stress. And it does, like you said, make it harder. And there's that other added consequence of, am I going to start getting anxiety? Am I going to start losing sleep? Am I going to start, are the other foundational elements of your health going to be impacted? So I just want to say you can lose weight while you're stressed. It's just not probably going to serve you in the long term. If it was going to, I probably would do with all my clients. I'd love to just give them what they want. Like if they're like, I would want weight loss, be like, take it, you know, take it away. But um, there is a very specific system of targeting your health first. That's really important. Targeting your relationship with food first. That's important. And then engaging whatever those things are that you want more, you know, intentional lifestyle changes for weight loss. Yeah. That season for weight loss, I focus a lot on midlife and perimenopause, especially because now I'm like going through that and at 47 and, um, and I feel like so many women are like, I ha I just gained this weight, um, out of the blue. Like I've never had to deal with this. And now as I have all these hormonal shifts, like my body just doesn't even see my, my body anymore. And so I would love also to hear your opinions on um, intermittent fasting when it comes to like perimenopausal women. And I know like there's so many varieties and opinions out there on it's good, it's bad, and depends on when you're cycling and, and all of these things. So whatever your opinion may be, heretic or not, like, I would love to oh, hear what oh, that is. Oh, it's heretic, is. Nicole. Oh, it's heretic. <laughs> Bring it up. I was thinking this, um, sorry, this um, title could be like food as heresy or something like that. I love it. <laughs> Nutritional heretics. Yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm into all of it. Um, absolutely. I can answer that question. So we talked before about weight loss being a source of stress for the body. Intermittent fasting is what we would call for many people a hormetic stress, right? It's a positive stressor. Applying a positive stressor, like Laura said, if you're, if you, let's say we have, we all have a finite amount of stress we can tolerate from any direction. So if we have any time that bucket gets overfilled, you're going to have, you know, health issues basically, either from the cortisol blocking the production of other hormones and conversion of other hormones, or from actually the experience of anxiety. So intermittent fasting in a person who has very low stress and very high muscle mass and um, is usually very young, can be productive for a short period of time. The goal of intermittent fasting is that you're not eating for a certain period of time. So that hopefully the goal is your body will kind of start doing autophagic uh, reactions and start you know, getting rid of toxins and doing other things it can do when it's uh, deprived of food or the need for digestion. And the other goal would be that you're your blood glucose gets low enough that your body starts looking for other glucose sources and you start burning fat for fuel. That's the other kind of goal. So in kind of intermittent fasting would be perfect for like a 20 year old dude who's like doing CrossFit and like, doesn't have a job. And if you notice, those are the people who kind of like talk about intermittent fasting the most. Those are the people who are like, it's sick. Like I feel really good when I do it. I'm like, yeah, no, I know you feel really good when you do it because your machinery is reacting in the exact way we want it to. Intermittent fasting for short durations of time is helpful for people who are extremely healthy and don't have any hormonal issues. So, and I don't even want to say hormonal issues, don't have hormonal changes. Menstruating women always have hormonal changes. We have them every single day of the month. There's a different change and we have cycles with our, with our, um, hormones. And I think 
you know, I say, I say this a lot, but intermittent fasting works for some, but not for all. And usually not for women. Um, I would say very much so for menstruating women, intermittent fasting can so quickly influence our hormone status that we can see it in bloods within like weeks. Um, people can have higher cortisol and that can lead to lower thyroid hormone. And, and because of the blocking of the conversion of T four to T three, like there's a, a, a certainly, um, huge and immediate effects of intermittent fasting on women. Um, and I do not believe it works for many. Now, again, if there was a woman who was very high muscle mass, very low stress, would it be possible? Yes, but I have not seen it work in the long term. Usually there's a point where it stops working for people. And I'll know that it stops working when people, uh, start, start losing sleep, start getting anxiety. And when their bodies start to signal to them that they're starving essentially. Right. I would say that for perimenopausal and menopausal women, it's interesting because you're already having such strong shifts in hormones, uh, and which can be really disastrous for how you feel. And I, I so like empathize with that experience. It's, 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 you know, from anyone I've ever told, uh, ever spoken to, and all of my clients who are midlife, that experience is already very challenging. And again, because it's a huge change and state of stress, it's not a place where I think interjecting intermittent fasting would be super productive or helpful. Your, your luck kind of runs out with intermittent fasting after a while because your body does catch on that it's stressed and then you're going to have those downstream effects. So the last thing I would want for a woman who's going through drastic and uncomfortable changes is to add more stress to their plate. But I do think it's more immediately stressful on the body of menstruating women because again, it, it disrupts those cycles that are essential for how we feel. Um, and menopausal women, of course, don't have those cycles and those hormonal shifts. So it's, it's stressful for a different reason, but, um, not, I think like that's some where I kind of draw a hard line is usually, um, menstruating women. Makes me just think of the concept that like intermittent fasting is a tool. I think a lot of people make it sure. a lifestyle and then it becomes really problematic. And I, it's, it's great that I think there's at least maybe I'm in a little bubble on social media, but I see more awareness being brought to women of like, Hey, you got to consider your hormones. Like you can't listen to all the bros who are telling you how to do this and like eating one meal a day for three months, like that's probably not going to work for you. Maybe you need to look at it at a certain point in your cycle. Maybe you need to make sure that you're in a, a fairly low stress state first. Maybe you need to teach yourself how to do it because it's kind of like building a little muscle. You can't just jump into doing a five day fast when you've never tried it before and expecting it to solve all your problems when in fact, it's probably going to create a lot more. So I, I hope you just, I feel like you just pulled the wool out from over people's eyes around that, which is really, really important to just think about it. Think about it differently. Think about it differently as women, different stages of our life as women. And it's it really, it, it's not necessarily the end all be all solution to, you know, every single thing that we may want to do when it comes to our health. We have to think about with any eating pattern that we're embarking on, what is the environment that the food is going into? It doesn't matter what the style of eating is. It matters how the environment of our bodies interact with the style of eating. I will say joyously, there are two um, like bodybuilding coaches that I'm friends with on Instagram. And they both recently posted from their podcasts. Like they're, they're like total like bodybuilding bros, but they're very smart and, and great people that, that's, that's not, you know, one is not exclusive of the other. And they both posted videos about like women's eating during their luteal phase. And I was like, that's so cool. Like, I think people are starting to 
understand how cyclical and important, um, you know, our cycles are. And I think that people are starting to understand also that what works for one person nutritionally is not going to work for another. And that uh, there's so many different components of that individuality. So I'm happy that it's even trickled into what people would perceive as that like real fitness community. I'm starting to see some shifts there, which I'm excited about too, because I, I think what probably happened was people weren't getting results with their clients when they were doing the same calories in calories out stuff. They were doing the same strategies. Let me make you eat less and less and move more. And, um, they, they started to search for more answers, which makes me really hopeful, I think. Cause I was nervous about that for a long time. And, um, ha I'm happy to see that now. So, so good. Such critical discourse. And we are just so happy to have had you give us all of your nuggets and gems. Um, how can people who are listening get in touch, follow along? If you have anything right now you're you're inviting people to, we would love for you to talk about that. And then we'll have one last question. Oh, yay. Um, I am, I just am going to be at this time, it'll be mid June, I think, or end of June, like you said, when this airs. So I will be in season two of my podcast, quiet, the diet. I'm shuffling everyone into the podcast. If they kind of want to start to get to know me and, and enter my world a little bit, because I think for all of us, we're very long form people versus just like one little picture can't do us justice. Um, so at this point I'll have, you know, uh, season two will be up of the quiet, the diet podcast. I'm also just really easy to find cause I'm Michelle Shapiro RD on Instagram, my website, and I'll send you guys uh, links for the show notes. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you wanted to work one-on-one, -on -one, I also have an amazing staff dietitian who's now accepting clients and will, I'm, I'm very much assuming still be accepting clients, um, end of June to work in our practice. There's a little wait list to work with me, but, uh, on any of those three specific conditions, anxiety, gut issues, or a body neutral and loving approach to weight loss. I love that. And yes, definitely follow along to the quiet the diet pod. I listened to an episode of yours recently. Uh, I forget his name. You had on an Ayurveda specialist. Oh, um, she's amazing. Yeah. Dr. Bazwadi Bhattacharya. Yeah. She is uh, the coolest. Yeah. That conversation was incredible. I sent it out to like a couple clients. I'm like, you need to listen to this. So such a good podcast to subscribe to. And Thank you for being here. The last question that we like to wrap up with is if you have one piece of advice that you could impart to your younger self, what would it be? So I think that the, I'll, I'll break it into two parts of a sentence, which is that everything will be okay if you listen to yourself. And I, I would tell that definitely to myself. And I would tell anyone to tell that to themselves wherever they are, but as long as you are listening to yourself and connecting with yourself, whatever comes at you will be okay. And you'll have the right answer. And you are the only one with the answer. So that's what I would tell cute little Mish. She was, love she it. wasn't like cute. She was rough stuff, but I love her. <laughs> love that. Thank you for sharing. Well, it's been great having you on today. This was an incredible conversation and we will post everything that you all need to follow Michelle and follow her amazing podcast and interact with her in the show notes. This podcast is for general information and educational purposes only. It should not be considered medical advice and or treatment. Although we are both doctors, we are not medical doctors or your medical doctor. What has been discussed should not take the place of your personal medical professionals, advice, treatment, diagnosis, or care. If you love this podcast as much as we do, please take the time to subscribe, share, rate, and review. 
And we'd love if you would follow us over on Instagram. Our handles are at dr.lauradecesaris and at Dr. Nicole Marcioni, or you can just click on the links in our show notes. 